Chapter Five of Pocket Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Pocket Island by Charles Clark Munn. Chapter Five, The Boys' First Party. The Stillman girls were going to give a party, and the boy was invited. It was the first social recognition he had ever received, and it disturbed his equilibrium. It also made him feel that he was almost a man. He had for some time longed to be a man, and for a year past had felt hurt when called a boy. When the little note of invitation requesting the pleasure of your company, etc., reached him, he felt he had suddenly grown taller. He realized it more fully that night when he tried on his best clothes to see how they would look. The sleeves of his jacket were too short, and his pants missed connections with his boots by full two inches. The gap seemed to swell the size of his feet also. When he looked in his little mirror, he noticed a plainly defined growth of down on his lip, and his hair needed cutting. Then the invitation filled him with mingled fear, surprise, and pleasure. He hardly knew, after thinking it all over, whether he wanted to go or not. The one fact that turned the scale was Liddy. He was sure she would be there. But then that painful gap between his pants and boots. He had thought a good deal about her ever since school was over. Now that he was invited to a party where she would be, he began to feel just a little afraid of her. When the important evening came and he presented himself at the Stillman's house and lifted the big iron knocker on the front door, its clang sounded loud enough to wake the dead, and his heart was going like a trip hammer. Mary Stillman met him at the door, and her welcome was so cordial he couldn't understand it. He wasn't much used to society. All his schoolmates were there, boys that he had played ball, snared suckers, and gone in swimming with, scores of times, and girls that seemed a good deal taller than when they went to school. Most of them were dressed in white, and with their rosy cheeks and bright eyes made a pretty picture. They were nearly all in one of the big front rooms, and among them was Liddy, in pink muslin with a broad sash and bows of blue ribbon at the ends of her two braids of hair. She looked so sweet he was more afraid of her than ever. His first thought was to go into the room where some of the boys were, but Mary Stillman almost pushed him into the other room, and he felt that he was in for it. When he sat down next to another boy and looked at the girls whispering and giggling together, he almost wished he had not come. Then when he thought of that unfriendly separation of his pants and boots, he was sure of it. But he caught a pleasant smile and nod from Liddy, and that gave him a world of courage. Then he began to talk to the boy next to him, and was just beginning to forget that he was at a party, in an exchange of experiences about bee-hunting and finding wild honey, when the oldest Stillman girl proposed they play button. He had never played button, and wasn't anxious to, for it might necessitate his walking about the room and expose that gap still more. He preferred to talk bee-hunting with Jim Pratt. He was soon made to realize, however, that there was a different sort of wild honey to be gathered at a party, 
and button-button who's got the button was the method. When it came his turn to pay a forfeit, he was directed to measure three yards of tape with Liddy. As this consisted in kneeling face to face with her on a cushion in the center of the room, joining hands, expanding arms to the limit and back again, punctuating each outward stretch with a kiss, it wasn't so bad. He was sorry it wasn't six yards instead of three. He could stand it if Liddy could. Only he hoped that no one had noticed that gap. On the next round, Jim Pratt was ordered to stand in a well four feet deep and choose a girl to pull him out. As four feet meant four kisses, and Jim knew a good thing when he saw it, he chose Liddy. And then the boy felt like licking him. After Button came post office, and the boy had a letter from Nellie Barnes, with five cents postage due, which called for his catching Nellie and kissing her five times. By this time he had forgotten he was at a party with abbreviated pants, and was having no end of a good time. Then someone started the good old frolic of run round the chimney, and as the Stillman house was admirably adapted for that, the fun waxed fast and furious. It was catch any girl you wanted to, and kiss her if you did. In the romp, the boy's collar came off, and he asked Liddy to pin it on, and when she purposely pricked him a little, he grabbed her and kissed her a few times extra, just for luck. He was rapidly realizing why he was there and what for, and that gap had passed entirely out of his mind. Then the boys, all rather warm and excited, were requested to go into the kitchen and carry refreshments to the girls, and our boy and Liddy were soon ensconced in a cozy corner with two plates filled with a medley of frosted cake, mince pie, tarts, and the like, and as happy as two birds in a nest. It was the first time he had ever eaten with her, and an event in his life of no small importance. They also talked as fast as they ate. She told him all her little plans about going to the village academy the next term, and what she liked to study, and all about a little white rabbit that her father had given her on her last birthday, and how cunning it was. The boy decided at once that he would have a white rabbit if he had to steal one. He also told her that he had found a nest of young foxes that summer, and had kept them ever since in a pen and he offered to give her one. He also assured her he, too, meant to go to the academy if his parents would let him. It was a charming visit, and the boy's heart warmed in a wonderful way, and Liddy's blue eyes looked into his brown ones so sweetly that he felt as if heaven was just ahead. Like a wise boy, he asked her then and there if he could go home with her, which, of course, he could and so all was well. Almost before anyone realized it, the time for the party to break up came, and with a chorus of good nights, the happy gathering ended. When the boy, with Liddy's soft hands curled confidingly around his arm, started for her home, a mile away, he was proud as a king, and far happier. And that long walk in the moonlight, while on his arm a soft hand rested, rested light as ocean's foam. Could he, or would he, ever forget it? 
I think not. It was a poem of blue eyes like spring violets, of tender, loving words, of mellow moonlight on the fields where the corn shocks stood in spectral rows, and the brook they crossed looked like a rippling stream of silver, where the maples along the lane, still clad in yellow foliage, cast mottled shadows in their pathway, and the fallen leaves rustled beneath their feet. They did not talk much. Their hearts were too full of love's young dream, although he told her of his visit to a deserted house a year before, and how he heard ghostly footsteps in the house, and saw a closet door swing half open in a shadowy room, and he was sure there was a ghost in that closet, at which Liddy's arm clasped his a little closer. Maybe he enlarged a trifle upon that spook. Almost any boy with a fertile imagination and his sweetheart clinging to his arm on a moonlit maple lane with no one near would. I am sure I would if I were a boy. When her home was reached, he was revolving a serious problem in his mind. To kiss Liddy in the games at the party was easy enough. It was part of the play and expected. He had even ventured a few independent ones when she pricked him, and though he got his ears boxed, she didn't seem angry. But to deliberately kiss her now at parting was an entirely different matter. No doubt Liddy knew what he was thinking about, for when the gate was reached she paused and did not enter. She thanked him sweetly for his company home and declared she had had a delightful time. He assured her he had, and then there was a pause. It was a critical moment. He looked at the moon high overhead. The man in it, as all men would, seemed to say, "'Now's your chance, my boy. Kiss her, quick!' And yet he hesitated. Then he looked at the nearby brook where the ripples were like dancing silver coin, and then at Liddy. Maybe the laughter of those ripples gave him courage, for he hesitated no longer, but full upon her rosy lips he kissed her. Then he walked home, and all the long mile, though his feet trod the earth, he knew it not. Rather was he floating on ripples of moonlight, with a fairy-like face and tender blue eyes ever hovering over him, and a soft white hand clinging to his arm. And so ended the boy's first party. End of chapter 5 Recording by Roger Moline